is a good landing. In the name of the one true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. Happy New Year, everyone, and on the eighth day of Christmas, my rector gave to me a sermon on predestination. No? We'll save it for next time and stick with the visit of the Magi, because as we know, we are still in the immediate afterglow of Christmas, and we've hardly had time to ponder this mystery that has happened before our very eyes, to marvel and to rejoice at the birth of Jesus wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. There he is, God in the flesh, born of a woman, becoming like us in every way, yet without sin, to save us. But my friends, I have to issue us a fair warning this morning. Some of what you're going to hear just doesn't fit with the idea of a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Some of it is uncomfortable, difficult to hear, probably even painful, maybe even hard to imagine. Yet it's true. And it's so important, so crucial, in fact, that St. Matthew wrote it down in his gospel for us to learn from it. You see, if you and I had been among the Israelites living in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, the hope of God's salvation would certainly not have been lost on us. For all of Israel had been eagerly awaiting the arrival of God's Messiah. The one who would sit on David's throne, as Isaiah had prophesied, some 700 years before. The one who would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The one who would establish an eternal government of righteousness and of justice and of peace. After all, the mighty Roman Empire, as we know, had overthrown Israel, displaying a very powerful but very pagan dominion that was previously unknown in the ancient world. Even ascribing to its Caesar a man named Augustus the audacious, if erroneous, title, Son of God. So who wouldn't have wanted true justice, true righteousness, and real peace back then? Who doesn't want that today? And yet, even as this ancient prophetic pronouncement is being fulfilled by the birth of Jesus, we are confronted by another very sinister character, this time not from the outside, but from the inside. King Herod, the king of the Jews, the ruler of God's own people, the Israelites, and as king of the Jews, Herod had one job, as the saying goes, to govern the people God called his own and to govern them well. Yet, as it turns out, Herod was anything but a good king of the Jews. As the story unfolds, wise men have come from the east. They are following a star that has been set in the sky to show them the place where Jesus lay bringing to Jesus the costly gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. They're going to lay these gifts 
at his feet, even as they themselves bow in humble adoration before this holy child. And on their journey, they come face to face with King Herod. And shall we say the conversation is less than congenial? In fact, it's confrontational. Herod is less than pleased that the wise men have come to worship another king of the Jews. Now, if we put ourselves in Herod's place for just a moment, we can see both the predicament and the problem. On one hand, the predicament is that Herod is king of the Jews. Who are these Gentile foreigners? Why aren't they bringing me these gifts to lay them at my feet and to bow in humble adoration before my throne? On the other hand, the problem is that King Herod, it seems, had sorely missed the mark. As the king of the Jews, not only was his very job to govern God's people well, but as an Israelite himself, he too should have, would have been looking for God's promised Messiah, the anointed one who would at least come and overthrow the evils of the Roman Empire. So what's wrong here? If we dig a little deeper... If we look at the condition of Herod's heart, we can see what's wrong. A quick look at King Herod tells the terrible tale of a very maniacal man. A man who would do anything and destroy anyone to protect his power. For example, history tells us that Herod had ten wives, ten wives, But my friends, that's hardly the worst of it. Herod killed his favorite wife, her mother, her grandfather, three of his own sons, not to mention many of his subjects, just to make sure that everybody knew who was in charge. (laughs) During a swimming party in Jericho, Herod even drowned the high priest who, by the way, was his brother-in-law. And on top of all of that, Herod will forever live in infamy for what is known as the slaughter of the innocents, ordering the ruthless massacre of all male babies two years old and younger in the town of Bethlehem. History says probably about 20 in the place where Jesus was born, hoping that in killing them, he had also killed the would-be king Jesus. One biblical commentator, one biblical commentator plausibly imagined it this way. The scene of mothers madly trying to hush their crying infants so as not to be discovered, only to see them snatched out of their arms by Herod's soldiers, thrown to the floor and run through with swords, sends a bristle of shock into the Christmas story, so utterly discordant with the rest of it that it's hard to bear the very idea of it. Now we can say to ourselves, well, that was Herod. One man 
at one point in history so self-absorbed that he got it horribly wrong. But my friends, I think that we can look at what's going on in the world around us today and know that we know better. For example, our world is still at war with children, unborn and born. Even with the overturn of Roe versus Wade, people are still seeking and finding and performing abortions. And make no mistake, there is an army that is still out there trying to make abortion legal again, even on demand. And these days, tragically, living outside of the womb is no safer than living in it. In this age of gender confusion, children are still being butchered and mutilated, abused under the perverse ideologies of sexual freedom and self-actualization. But let's be clear. Whether we're talking about the kinds of evils we see in our day or the atrocities committed by King Herod in his day, the point is this. The root of all evil lies within every human heart on any given day. Every one of us harbors in our hearts a spiritual and very deadly disease called sin. Every one of us has the potential to act like a crazed tyrant in our own way. The Bible tells us this. Sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is to master you, and you must learn how to rule over it. Herod, you see, is but an emblem, an image of what it means to live in a habitual state of sin. If we feed it, it will grow into a cancerous disdain and hatred of others, and left unchecked, make no mistake, sin will eventually destroy us. I'm sorry, but I warned you. Some of what you're hearing this morning just doesn't sound very Christmassy. It's uncomfortable, painful, maybe even hard to imagine. Yet, as I said, it's true. And it's so crucial that Matthew wrote it down in the Bible for us to learn from it. So what is it that Matthew would have us to learn I think it's simply this. My friends, I think every day is an opportunity for us to hold a mirror up to our own hearts, to look at our lives in the light of God's love and to consider how we are living, both to examine the parts of ourselves that we don't like, but more importantly, to see the healing and the hope that God gives to us. And in this way, I think the Magi also have something to say to us this morning. If you've ever felt, if you've ever felt like you've been living in a distant land, separated from God, shrouded by a deep darkness that feels like an endless night, the answer, my friends, is to begin your journey. And every journey begins by taking the first step. The first step. Following the star, relentlessly pursuing God's light and his love until it leads you to Jesus. 
staying on the course no matter how far you must go or how silly it may seem, pressing on even as you confront whatever tyrannical obstacle you may find in your path. Think of the Magi. At any point, they could have stopped. They could have turned back. When they met Herod, they could have told themselves, it isn't worth the price that we might have to pay. But they made a choice. They resolved to overcome every single obstacle until they got to Jesus. And when they finally found him, they took the very best that they had, and they laid it at his feet, and they worshipped him. And that is the remedy for our sin-sick souls. My friends, on the outside, let's be clear, the tyrants of this world will try and tell you it's not worth it. They would want to tell you that they are the rightful kings and rulers of this world and that you and I should bow down before them to preserve your peace and even your very lives. And on the inside... On the inside, there will always be that voice in your head. The one that tries to tell you that you're too far from God, that you can't get there from here, that your sin is too dark and the divide is simply too great for you to try and cross it. But if I can end on some very good news this morning, if we will but do what the Magi did, And not just the Magi, but untold millions and millions and millions of people throughout time and space. Remembering that every journey, no matter how dark the night, how great the distance, or how big the obstacle may be, is made the very same way, one step at a time, then whether it's the voices around us or the voices within us, this is what we will find when we go on that journey. God is already there. God is already there. That's the whole message of the incarnation is that he did not wait for us to try and work our way to him. He came to us, and there we will find him, inviting us to take all that we have and all that we are and lay it at his feet. And when we do, in return, this is what he will give us. He will give us himself. He will give us himself. And as he gives us himself, you and I will find that we have everything we need. Everything we need. The healing of our hearts, help in our time of trouble, and the hope of everlasting life in him. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, for anyone who feels far off this morning, draw near to them even as they draw near to you. Give them the fortitude to take one step at a time on their journey, no matter how dark the night, how long the road, how big the obstacle. Lord, you have broken into this world to close the gap. 
May we find ourselves in you and be found in you that we would find rest for our weary souls. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.